from Seattle, Washington, I'm Zach Jabal, and this is a Vine Pair Podcast Next Round Conversation. We're bringing you these conversations in between our regular podcast episodes so that we can focus on a range of issues and stories in the drinks world. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Allie Nault and Jared Slip of Need Wine, and thank you both for being here so much. Thank you for having us. Oh, super happy to be here. Excellent. So let's start with uh, some basics. What What is Need Wine? And, and for those of you who are just listening to this and somehow didn't read the uh, the headline on your podcast app, that's a K N E A D, not N E E D. So there's a there's a little bit more of a story here than just the obvious, which is that yes, we all need wine. So uh, Need Wine um, actually was was birthed in the the middle of uh, the COVID pandemic. We actually opened uh, August first, uh, and um, you know my my background has uh, been restaurants for most of my life, and then uh, I ran uh, RDV Vineyards. Uh, in uh, in Delaplaine in the foothills of the, the Blue Ridge Mountains for six years, and uh, and when I left, I I could have gone you know all, all over the place in lots of different directions, but uh, I really really love uh, where I live. I live on the top of a, a mountain uh, in the middle of nowhere. I can't see my neighbors in any direction. We have a pet bear uh, oh. that that comes round uh, on occasion. And, and it's fantastic. So uh, I wanted to carve something out uh, right here in my own backyard. Um, and uh, easier said than done in the middle of, uh, of COVID. Um, so uh, unwittingly, we found a space and we did uh, gourmet takeout pizza and retail wine. And uh, again, unwittingly, uh, looking back, the only things in the restaurant world that are actually ahead of the game right now is uh, takeout pizza. And yeah. <laughs> I think the, the worse the world gets, the more people uh, drink. So it was kind of a, the, the one-two punch. It certainly wasn't planned, but uh, it was uh, uh, certainly welcome. Gotcha. And and Ali, maybe a little bit about your background as well? Sure, of course. So I um, am kind of a restaurant orphan. I've worked in Providence, Rhode Island, New York City at the top of the One World Trade Center, down to Commander's Palace in New Orleans, um, and most recently um, at the Inn at Little Washington um, as their sommelier. And gotcha. um, and this was something that, you know, in March, restaurants closed in 2020. And Jared and myself were just sitting at home saying, you know, what's next? The Inn's going to reopen. Will I even have a job? You know, you just departed from RDV. And it was perfect timing at the perfect place. A spot opened up right in downtown Middleburg on the main street in this beautiful old building that needed a lot of TLC. Um, But we were just so excited. Um, So just a little bit more about the concept. Um, When we say restaurant, yeah, we serve food and we can do intimate private events of up to 10 people by state law right now. Um, but in this, when you walk in, it's actually, it looks like you're at a retail wine shop. Um, and then all of a sudden you start smelling pizza and also these famous cookies we started making. And then you're like, wait, what else is going on here? And then that's when the pizza comes in as well. (laughs) So it kind of is like this whole entire sensual experience, even with your mask on, you're able to still smell Jared's incredible pizza as you walk in. They don't let me back there in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, let's start with just a little bit more maybe about what Middleburg is like. Because for those people who are not in Virginia or nearby, 
probably uh, like me, uh, just kind of like a well, okay, it's on the map, uh, but what what kind of community is it, and and what what's the sort of reception been? It is a, a very interesting little microcosm. So, um, Middleburg is probably the uh, the wealthiest town uh, in the wealthiest county in America, which is Loudoun County, which is right. to say it's on the same par as Palo Alto and uh, you know Jupiter. Florida and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, we, we have our fair share of, uh, multimillionaires and, and billionaires that stroll in on the daily. Uh, but that said, the median, uh, income is something like $56,000 a year. So for every person that has, you know, uh, a thousand acre, acre horse farm, there's probably 20 or 30 or 40, 50 people that they employ there. Um, so we get all walks of life. Um, and it is this super cute, quaint, hamlet in the middle of uh, horse country. And we're exactly an hour uh, outside of Washington, D.C. So it's, it's become quite a, uh, well, it's always been a nice little getaway. Uh, Jackie Onassis uh, used to come uh, quite a bit um, when she was younger. Um, but particularly with the, with, you know, the current state of, uh, you know, the pandemic and COVID at all, um, it's been uh, a nice uh, getaway for uh, for people in the city to be able to you know sneak you know sneak away even if it's just for an afternoon. And so you know, with that reality of of the market, I, I, I'm kind of curious. You know, one thing that I think is really fascinating about what you're doing, and and you know, I would love for you to explain a little bit more is you know you have a when it comes to wine, you have a very very straightforward, very simple pricing structure. What kind of can you explain what that is and then kind of why you went that route? I honestly can't remember what the exact <laughs> genesis of it was, but Fair enough. you know, part of you know what we're supposed to do as sommeliers is demystify wine. And I wanted to keep it real streamlined and simple uh, for anyone that came into the shop. And basically you walk in the door and everything on the left so- hand side is 20 bucks. And everything on the right-hand side is $45. Um, and it's really that simple. And then we have some bubbles and some stickies that are priced as marked. And then we have a, a small um, uh, wall that uh, rotates. It was originally intended to be uh, our favorite wines from our wine travels. And uh, not not a lot of traveling going on right now. So uh, it started out with, uh, with Willamette Valley, which was the last trip that we took. Um, and then it's, uh, it's now currently our, our favorite dozen Pinots from around the world. Okay. Um, you know, come spring, that'll probably turn into, you know, our favorite, uh, local Virginia wines. Um, so it's, it's, it's always moving. So, you know, the, the large preponderance of the wines is either 20 or 45, but you can get wines, you know, up to, you know, 300 bucks. And does that pricing, like, do people vibe with that? Like, does it make sense to people right away? Because because I will say, like, I, I've seen a few restaurants do something similar where kind of everything is either one price or in one bucket. I don't know that I've seen retail shops do that. I'm obviously not familiar with every last retail shop. But but it seems like like the kind of thing that if if done well, as I imagine it is, people could really appreciate that. Like, I don't have to think about, I don't have to compare, I don't have to, you know, look at price tags on wines next to each other to decide which one I want to buy. I know I'm on the left wall or the right wall. So I know what the price is going to be. No, I mean, Allie can probably speak to it uh, better than, than I, because I'm often, you know, uh, 
in the kitchen. But uh, the reception has been amazing. People adore the idea. Um, and again, it keeps things uh, easy for them. They, they, you know, they have their two price points and they can kind of gravitate to one side or the other. And, and oftentimes people will get mixed cases uh, uh, with, with both price points. And it makes things interesting and challenging for us in a good way in that, you know, it's very, very curated. We, we very much have to stay in our lanes price wise to, to, you know, be able to find wines that fit those two price points. So you can't de- deviate too far um, one way or another. You have to give great value, but you also can't, you know, bring in a wine that costs nineteen ninety five and sell it for 20 bucks. Well, the great thing for me, especially when talking about wine with guests, I feel like one of the hardest things to always break down is asking the tough question of, you know, how much do you want to spend tonight? And this makes it very easy. It's like we have two price ranges, 20 or 45. And you can tell some people, very, very few will be like, uh, I guess 20. And it's like, perfect. Like there's a time and a place for the $20 wall or the 45. You know, even for Jared and myself, you know, loving wine, having tasted a lot of incredible things. I mean, $20 is such a great price range to find new and exciting things, but also at such a high qualitative standpoint. Um, So it makes it exciting. We will blind taste like finding the best Cabernet Sauvignon for the $20 price range. Um, And so when someone comes in, it's, you know, this was the best thing that we could find right now on the market um, for a $20 Cabernet Sauvignon. And then people will come in and they'll see it will rotate in like a month, depending on stocks and inventorying um, with what distributors are bringing in. And they get super excited to see what the next, you know, Cabernet Sauvignon is on the wall a month later. And so seeing that excitement over, you know, a $20 bottle of wine is something that I find so fulfilling, um, having spent so much time with, you know, Wine Spectre Grand Award-winning wine list, you know, I get more pleasure out of providing something that is affordable, a daily driver that makes people thrilled when they go home with their pizzas. It's really a rewarding experience. And I wonder too, I've, I've sometimes thought with with wine programs and things like that, that constraints sometimes do more to breed creativity than you have an unlimited budget and you're, yeah, you're going for a Wine Spectator Grand Award and so you can just buy whatever you want. Is, is that ring true? Oh, for sure. Oh, a- Absolutely. I mean, if you if you give me a big enough check, I can give you a, a grand award. It's just a matter of you know going out and finding all those you know blue chip wines. Um, whereas here, you know, it's it's small and it's curated, and you know we nothing goes on the the wall that isn't vetted by um, us. Very cool. And if we don't like it, it doesn't it doesn't make the cut. So when people come in, it's pretty funny. They're like, oh, what's your, you know, what, what are your two favorite wines? I'm like, mm, all of them. They're all, here for, <laughs> they're all here for a different reason. Yeah. So you mentioned at the beginning that you kind of, you know, you opened in August. So like what, when the beginning parts of the planning for this started, was the, was the intention to be, you know, or was the, was it done in the knowledge of COVID or did you have a different, uh, somewhat different idea that had to evolve because the world changed pretty dramatically? Um, I think we, we, I think with the restaurant world, there is no going back to normal. There will be a new normal for us. This is all we know because we, we got the keys to the the building in uh, last April 1st, uh-huh. um, which is scary. It's almost coming up on a year. And then we opened August 1st and, and I did 90% of all the, the build out and construction. 
Um, so we knew what we were we were opening into, or we thought we knew what we were <laughs> opening into. And so this this strange paradigm is is our, our normal, um, and it's worked and it's been great. You know, we do have the ability to to have some tables in there um, if we wanted to. Um, right now, we choose not to. It's uh, it's takeout only. We have done a couple uh, uh, private events, um, like on New Year's Eve and so on and so forth, which are which are super fun. Um, but no, I mean, as far as kind of navigating um, the the current landscape, um, we kind of planned and built for for that. In fact, so. That makes sense. Yeah, I, I I love the way it's set up. Um, it's, you know, a really great creative outlet for the two of us to figure out a way to do takeout hospitality. Um, you know, people come in for a split second to grab their pizza and grab a bottle of wine, or maybe they come in for 45 minutes while they grab a case of wine and want to hear all about everything. Um, but being able to give a very special experience um, through takeout has been a really intriguing challenge for us to come up with. Um, I think for all restaurants, especially. Um, and it, I, I've been, I've, I mean, I've personally enjoyed it. I don't know if Jared's enjoyed it as much as I have. We haven't really talked about it. <laughs> of course, <laughs> not at all in this whole time. That seems like a, you know, maybe a conversation you should have. <laughs> <laughs> I guess he likes it. We're still doing it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's, that's some proof for sure. So I, I want to ask a question that I, I'm going to just, kind of try and frame it hopefully it makes sense so i would think just in the abstract that wine shop slash restaurant opened by two incredibly accomplished sommeliers would be potentially intimidating for a lot of people right you know we experience this issue as wine professionals where you know people want our expertise but are also afraid of it and I'm wondering if some of the some of the things you've talked about, the focusing on pizza, which is for most people pretty damn approachable food, uh, you know, having very kind of clear here are here are two prices. I think with some people, their fear of sommeliers is about getting talked into a more expensive wine than they're comfortable with. Like, does that ring true that like those sorts of structural elements, I suppose, to your business have? have kind of maybe gotten over what could be for some people a, a fear factor or is, or do you just not think that people are intimidated? Well, I think actually when people walk in and they see me in the front of the shop, they think I'm probably like a college student um, <laughs> just answering the phone. I am, I look very young. I sound very young. They probably never in a million years thought that I knew anything about wine. Um, and that's something that I've always had to break down the barrier with anywhere I work. And so I think that that's just something that's, you know, I, if anyone's ever intimidated by me, then there's a real problem because I'm not at all intimidating. I know you can't see me, but I'm a five foot three, tiny, hundred pound girl. <laughs> um, and so I, I think that they're not intimidated when they come into the shop. I think that they become at ease when they hear about the price ranges. I mean, Jared can be a little intimidating. I'll say that. Um, that's but I think once kitchen, you... Right? Once you start talking to him, you're like, oh, it's just like your, you know, your friend next door um, or someone that's going to become your best friend because he's just so warm and welcoming. I'm the guy that's in the kitchen that yells out, what you want is the second wine on the left, the Pinot Grigio. <laughs> we have fun. <laughs> there you go. Um, so on that t- 
topic, I'm curious, you know, we talk a lot and it's, I think, come up a lot more because as, as Jared mentioned at the beginning, you know, pizza is like the thing more than one of the things more than anything else that people have been consistently going to with, with during the pandemic, not that they didn't eat a lot of pizza before. Uh, so what are like three or so of your favorite current pairings uh, of wine with your pizzas? And, and feel free to explain the pizzas too, because I am sure that it's not all just uh, Hawaiian. Uh, actually, <laughs> no actually there's no I have two hard I fast I have two hard fast rules. One is no pineapples and no green peppers ever. Barring that barring that, if you buy it at the grocery store across the street and bring it over, I'll slap it on your pizza. But I refuse those two things. <laughs> okay, gotcha. Um but so uh the, the pizzas are, are kind of rooted in uh Neapolitan style, but you know, Neapolitan pizzas are, are really meant to be eaten immediately out of uh, the oven with a fork and a knife. They're kind of floppy. And us uh-huh. being takeout, we need a little more stability. And being, a, a, you know, in America, we use uh, American flour. I think it actually tastes better. Um, we sneak a little Italian flour in there for uh, some silky texture, but American flour tastes better. We'll, we'll do a, a pepperoni pizza, no problem. Um, but we have more um, exciting things as well. Um, tomorrow we're putting on a pizza with what boss pear, crispy speck, uh, gorgonzola dolce and Korea, uh, Korean chili, uh, flake. Um, and we'll pair that with, uh, you know, pear cider actually. Oh, okay. But I, I try not to get to, and again, going back to the whole, you know, trying to demystify wine. Um, I hate when people, and when I say people, I mean uh, guys, because it's always guys, trying to match up every little nuance of the dish to every little nuance of the wine. And at some point, you just get analysis paralysis, and it's just not fun anymore. So if you get a red pizza and you get a bottle of uh, red Italian wine, mm, you're, in, you're in the ballpark. Um, you know, whether it's uh, Chianti or it's Dolcetto or it's Barbera, um, it's really a stylistic preference, but you know, it's not like I say, no, you have to get this wine with this pizza. That's just silly. You know, rule number one is eat what you want and, and drink what you want. That's very reassuring. That is, that was always my rule as a sommelier, but, uh, one that, as you said, not always shared by, by colleagues. Um, Ali, do you have any, maybe either, maybe then pairings is the wrong way to look at this, but, and I know asking, uh, what your favorite wines are is really hard, but maybe a couple of things that you've put in that you've been excited to see the clientele really vibe with that might've been a little more out there. Yeah. So I think when we started um, the shop, our regulars who join us in the area, because we obviously have a lot of transient foot traffic as well, um, were huge Pinot Grigio or Chardonnay or more of the classic options um, as a wine buyer, which is fantastic. I love people who know what they want. Um, but as we've been open longer, they've wanted to venture out and try new things, which has been really exciting. Um, so we actually brought in Guardian's Saparave um, from the country of Georgia. Um, it's a woman-made wine. Saparave is the grape variety, and it has this like crunchy and dried red fruit character, a touch of florality to it. It's a very intriguing red wine that has Pretty nice acidity, so also goes well with pizza, but it's delicious to just chug on its own. And I had this whole entire shift of, um, you know, oh, I like Pinot Noir. Oh, I'll try Saparave. Oh, I love Saparave. That's now my new favorite wine. 
And then when we weren't able to order more because it was out of stock, you know, I had a list of phone numbers to call when it came back in stock. <laughs> Very cool. So that's something that's been really exciting is, you know, for $20, I feel like people are really excited to take a chance. Um, and then maybe $20 was, you know, the peak of what they spent on a bottle of wine before. But once they see how incredible the world of wine is, you know, for Thanksgiving, they ventured over to the $45 wall, which is really also exciting to show, you know, the entire world of wine at both price ranges to them. And so that's, that's probably been the most exciting part for me with all of this is just watching the transition of the community and um, the wine preferences. But when it comes to pairings, we're getting back to pairings. I always just say what grows together goes together. So sticking with the Italian wine that Jared was talking about. Um, but whenever someone comes into the shop, it's not like in a, in a restaurant where you commit to like three ounces. And if it wasn't your favorite wine, you just chug it and move on. It's a whole bottle. So I always ask first, know what do you typically enjoy and then I find something along the lines of what they enjoy that will also go with the pizza Um, because I'd hate to send someone home with a Zinfandel if they like you know really old world Bordeaux it's not going to go well for them at the end of the night I think when we opened we wanted to make sure that we had uh, you know all of our bases covered and all of the the classics represented and now I I think we're kind of as we're seeing the, the the clientele what what they're bandwidth is we're beginning to push the boundaries a little bit and it's like okay let's try some greek wine okay uh greek chardonnay okay that worked let's do assertico okay that worked let's do uh retsina retsina is a tough sell but you push up until the line and then you draw back a little bit yeah and then you drink retsina for a few weeks at right. home if, uh if that's where you end up oh it's it's lights out by far and away the the best uh retina out there but it's still a, a required taste yeah for sure well i want to thank you both so much for your time i really appreciate it It sounds like a really cool project it's uh makes me sad that i at the moment i'm uh, very far away and can't come visit but one of these days uh i will uh i will make it out there and i'm sure we've got some listeners in the uh in the virginia area who if they haven't been in already are, are looking forward to it i can can almost taste the pizza and uh I'm very glad to know I won't have to ever get pineapple. That makes me happy. (laughs) So thanks again. You both really appreciate it. And best of luck going forward. That's very kind. Thank you so much. Thank you, Zach. We look forward to welcoming you at some point. Thanks so much for listening to the Vine Pair Podcast. If you love this show as much as we love making it, then please leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever it is you get your podcasts. It really helps everyone else discover the show. Now for the credits. VinePair is produced and recorded in New York City and Seattle, Washington by myself and Zach Jabal, who does all the editing and loves to get the credit. Also, I would love to give a special shout out to my VinePair co-founder, Josh Mallon, for helping make all this possible. And also to Keith Beavers, VinePair Tasting Director, who is additionally a producer on this show. I also want to, of course, thank every other member of the VinePair team who are instrumental in all of the ideas that go into making this show every week. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you again.